Well, good morning again. Uh, don't you just love this weather? I don't know about you. I love this cold weather. I was born in Miami, grew up here, and I love it when it gets cold. And someone told me last week it's great because we know in another day or two it's going to get hot. It doesn't stay cold, does it? But it is wonderful. I'm loving this weather. And I'm glad you came back for part three of uh, Money, Life, Hope, Life, Money, Hope. And uh, we're trying to learn God's principles of how to handle our money. And, and we've been amazed that the Bible has over some 2,300 verses on, on the subject of money and how to handle our money. And week one, we talked about earning money ethically. Can you say that with me? Earning money ethically. Last week, we talked about spending money wisely. Thank you. Spending money, say it together. Spending money wisely, earning money ethically, spending money wisely. And today, we're all excited, right? I can just see it on your face. We're all excited. Today, we're going to talk about uh, saving money consistently. Is, is it up there? Okay. Oh, it's up there, all right? So what are we going to do? One time, one more, one more time. God's way of handling our money. Can you tell I'm a little nervous from running in here and changing my clothes so fast? Take a deep breath. All right. Cleansing breath. I think I'm giving labor. Okay, you ready? First, you want to earn money, spend money, and save money consistently. Save money consistently. And if you've missed the last couple weeks, I'd encourage you to go. we got a new website, beautiful website. Matter of fact, you can go online now, and you can actually see our Sunday service. Uh, before you could just hear it, you can print out the message notes and you can get caught up because this series, uh, among other series, it really is important uh, to get the context. And uh, so I'd encourage you to go check out our new website and check out last week's message. Now, last week, I ended uh, the message with a kind of a controversial um, uh, statement. And I, I'm sorry that it was controversial. And um, I have a lot of respect for a guy by the name of David, uh, Dave Ramsey, uh, New York Times bestseller author. He's kind of one of the leading authorities today on biblical money management. And, um, and I got some of the, he's doing the math for this statement. But here's a statement I made at the conclusion of last week's message. All right, you ready? You remember this, those of you who are here? We're going to be talking next week, which would be what? This week, okay. Um, how you can have $5.6 million when you retire if you're willing to make one simple choice. And I would stand behind that statement. Um, and it's a statement David Rams, Dave Ramsey has made, and he's a pretty good guru. You could have 5.6, that's a lot of money, at 870. If you make one small, simple choice. Did you know that the average car payment, the average car payment in America today is $478.00? over 84 months. That's the average. 84 months, seven years, $478. Now here's the simple choice. If you took that $478 and instead of buying that uh, new car or leasing, let me get a little higher here, or leasing that car uh, and you invested that in a decent growth stock mutual fund from ages 30 to 70, by age 70, you would have an excess of $5.6 million. So if you made the simple choice, instead of buying that car on time and financing it, and you all know, we all know, as soon as you drive that car off a lot, you just paid, you know, 20%. Average cost of the car, $30,000. By the time you get it home, it's only worth $24,000, by the way. Hope you didn't buy a car this past week. Um, but if you took it, rather than buying a car, 
and you invested that money instead, you would have $5.6 million. Now, when I read that several months ago, preparing for the series and getting ready for the series, you know, every time I kind of come to red light, you, if you know me, I, I love cars. I'm a car buff. I love nice cars, fast cars. You know, I love engineering. Um, I'm a, a child of my father who was a, a car racer, and, and um, I, I just love cars. And so what I do now, when I pull up to a traffic line, I see a beautiful new 2014 Jaguar. I look over and I said, man, that guy is spending $5.6 million to drive that car. I'll keep driving my 12-year-old smoke-belching relic, you know, my, 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 my Lexus, um, rather than spending $5.6 million to drive that new car. And this is the point. We need to learn to save money consistently. Now, some of you are thinking, you know, I take the Jag. Forget about the $5.6 million. Just, just give me the Jag. You see, we've got to learn to save money consistently. And if you don't save money, you will be broke your whole life. And there's a lot of people right here, right now in Palm Beach County, they're making a lot of money, but they're broke because they can just make it week to week. Most of us know, you know, what we need to do. Most of us know that we need to be saving. We're just not doing it. And unfortunately, it's kind of like my job to remind us, you know, of uh, what we need to be doing. And we need to learn to save our money consistently. Have you noticed? I've noticed. Guys, have you noticed that the problem when it comes to money and money management, the problem that I have is the guy that I shave with. You notice that? The guy that I, I shave with, the guy that you shave with, that's the guy that I have a problem with, that guy in the mirror. If I could just get him to behave, I would be skinny and rich. Matter of fact, I could wear some skinny jeans like John Stepp, our pastor of worship arts, you know, wore this morning. If I could just get that guy in the mirror to behave a little better. According to the Social Security Department, 75% of Americans have less than $250 when they retire. You know that if you just saved $100 a month, I mean, what's 100 bucks these days? I mean, that's like cable TV money, right, and pizza. If you would just save $100 a month and you start at the age of 30 and you invested that in a decent growth stock mutual fund, by the time you reach 70, you would have nearly $1.2 million. I mean, you could kind of retire with dignity. You know, if we took the money we spent on, on lattes, you know, and shoes and lucky jeans, we'd all be billionaires, you know. And we could avoid buying that cookbook, 72 Ways to Prepare Alpo and Love It, you know. We could avoid that. We need to learn to save money and to save it consistently. Now, now what, what are we saving it for? Well, we're saving it for emergencies. We're saving it for purchases. And we're saving it for the future. Saving it for what? Emergencies, purchases, not purses. I noticed some of you girls, Mary Beth, eyes kind of light up thinking, Coach, purses. No, we're not talking about purses. It's purchases. And then we're saving it for the future. Now, what's an emergency? Emergency isn't the new iPhone when it comes out. That's not an emergency. A broken fingernail is not an emergency. Now, broken plumbing at your house, that's an emergency. Fixing your broken down Ford again, that, that, that is an emergency, all right? If your toddler swallows your wife's wedding ring, now, that is an emergency. 
and it's going to cost you a lot of money. You've got to go in there and get all those x-rays, you know, and then the doctors all come in, and they basically tell you, watch their poop for the next couple of days very carefully. Now, those of you without kids, you're thinking, that's gross. And those of you with kids, you're thinking, you know, I've done it, and it's gross, Right? So we're saving for emergencies. Experts tell us we need to have about $1,000 that we need to save up for an emergency. So we're not surprised. So we learn to live life with more hope rather than feeling this noose around our neck. We need to save for emergencies. We need to save for purchases. Last week, we kind of together said the statement, no new debt. Can you say it with me? No new debt. And by that, we realized, man, the last four years have been just hellacious. They've been hard. They've been tough. But starting 2014, as things are beginning to get a little better, let's be smart. Let's be wise. Let's make it a great year by saying no to new debt. And we kind of made a commitment. Some of us went home, and we had plastic surgery, right? We had a melting party. We got rid of those credit cards, and we kind of made a commitment that we're not going to buy things unless we have the cash to pay for it. So we're going to save up for purchases. We're going to save in advance, and if we don't have the cash to pay for it, we don't buy it. Number three is the future. You're going to save for the future. You'd like your kids to get out of the house and go to college, you know, get some space in there. You need to start saving up. Yeah, education keeps going up, you know, it's amazing. Um, and uh, so we need to help that. If you want to retire with dignity, you want to stay in your own home or a nice assisted living facility rather than in your children's basement, eating spam for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You need to kind of start saving now, right? Money Magazine said that 78% of us will have a major negative financial event, a financial reversal, 78% of us, in any given 10-year period. We all face it. We all face stuff. It happens. And we need to prepare for it. Now, many of us maybe haven't lived long enough for life to knock you over, but take it from the old guy. It's coming. It's coming. 78%, 10-year period. Many of you are going to live those five of those 10-year period. An economic reverse is going to happen in your own life to you. It's coming. We need to prepare for it. So let's look at God's way of handling and managing, saving our money, and then let's look at our way, okay? Can we do that? Just like the past? Number one, our way is to, is to spend it all. Can you say it with me? Spend it all. God's way is to save for the future. Now, when I say our way, I really could say the American way is to spend it all. How much money do you think the average family in Japan saves on a given year? What percentage? 12, 16, about 20%. How much does the average family in Europe save in a given year? About 18%. How much do you think the average family in America saves on a given year? Nothing. We spend 1% more than we save. We spend 1% more that we save, and I'm not getting political here, but you know, it's so easy for us to constantly throw stones at our, at our government and the debt and da-da-da-da-da, but basically, you know, we're just running the country the way most of us run our homes. We're spending more than we got coming in, you know? We don't save. We spend 1% more than we're earning, all right? Proverbs 21.20 says this, the what man? The wise man does what? Saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. God says the wise person learns to consistently save. Look at Proverbs 13, 11. 
Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money, let's read it together, little by little makes it what? Let's read that last part again. He that gathers money little by little makes it grow. Albert Einstein said, you know that guy, smart guy. He said the most powerful force in the world is compound interest. He who gathers money. That was written 3,000 years ago. He who gathers money, little by little, little by little, makes it grow. Money plus time plus consistency equals wealth. Solomon says in Proverbs 27, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. How many of you know the condition of your flocks? I don't think any of us have any flocks probably. All right. Give careful attention to your what? Herds. Anybody got any herds? Okay. Uh, for riches, what's the next phrase there? I love that. They do not. <laughs> have you realized that? It flies away like wings. Money does, right? For riches do not endure forever. Now, if Solomon's living today, he would say, listen, be sure you know the conditions of your stock. Be sure you know the condition of your assets and your investments and, and what you're doing with your money. So three rules of investing. Rule number one is this. Don't invest in things you don't understand. Can you say that with me? Don't invest in things. All right. Are you guys asleep or am I just boring today? Okay. So what's rule number one? Don't invest in things you don't understand. All right. Thank you, man. I feel better already. Proverbs chapter 24. A house is built by what? Wisdom. That's how you build a house, a great house, by wisdom. And become strong through what? Good sense. And through what? Knowledge. So through wisdom, good sense, and knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. Now, I shared in week one how I learned my lesson the hard way. And I invested about all the money I had in savings in a friend and in the church at the time. Um, and I learned very quickly, you don't invest in things you don't understand. And be careful who you trust. And I probably got 50 people in this church, friends that would stand up here and say, listen, don't invest in things you don't understand. And be careful who you trust. You see, there's a lot of posers out there. A lot of people, they don't live by biblical principles, but yet they want to tell us how to live and how to invest and what to do. And just don't invest in things you don't understand. And what these posers often look for, they look for people who don't understand because they don't understand, they can snooker us. So don't invest in things you don't understand. Number two, rule number two, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Can we say that together? Don't put all your in one basket. Now, there's nothing new there, right? I mean, you know, you've heard that. Maybe your great-grandma used to be a farmer, and she told you not to put all your eggs in one basket. And why would your grandma tell you that? Because of why? That's right. If you fall or something happens, that one egg will break open the whole egg, and all of a sudden you lose all your eggs. So don't put all your eggs in one basket. Put your eggs in many baskets. All right? This is how the Bible puts it. But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risk might lie ahead. Isn't that amazing? That was written 3,000 years ago. Solomon's saying, listen, don't put all your eggs in one basket. David Ramsey says, investing's a lot like manure. If you put it in one, one place, it starts to stink. But if you spread it out, it makes everything else grow, right? So don't invest in things you don't understand. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And rule number three, probably the most important of them all, is don't try to get rich quick. And boy, it's tempting, isn't it? 
Paul told Timothy, but those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and to destruction. See, sometimes the best way to double your money is to take your money, fold it over, and put it in your pocket and walk away. If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. See, we need to embrace the value of self-control. Can everybody say the word self-control? Now, say it with a smile, okay? Let's say it again. Self-control. Self-control. You see, our way is to kind of spend it all. God's way is to save it for the future. He who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Our way is to kind of put our trust in our money, to put our trust in our savings, to put our trust in ourselves. God's way is to put our trust in him. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, tell those who are rich in this world. Now, who's Paul talking about? Who's he talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about every single one of us in this room right now. We talked about this two years ago. If you take our wealth in comparison to the rest of the world, we're in the top 95%. We're in the top 5%. That's reality, statistic reality. Now, you might not feel like you're in the top 5%, but if you live in America, you're in the top 5%. So he's talking to us, all right? So tell those, those Americans, those rich Americans in this world, not to be what? Proud. Not to trust in their money. Isn't this great advice? Which will soon be gone. Again, it's got wings. It can fly away so quick. But put their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need. What's that last word? For our what? For our enjoyment. We need to put our trust in a living, good, gracious God that gives us money, that gives us wealth for our enjoyment. Now circle that word enjoyment. Enjoyment. You see, God wants us to enjoy our money. God wants us to enjoy the convenience, the pleasure that that money brings. But he wants us to put our hope and trust in him and not in our stuff, not in ourselves, not in our ability to make a lot of money, not in our savings. Our trust needs to be in him. You see, we need to value the virtue of planning. We need to live by the Joseph principle. Remember the Joseph principle? Uh, the king of Egypt came to Joseph, and Joseph came to the king and interpreted his dream, and, and the king says, hey, listen, you take, you take charge. Pharaoh said, you take charge. And, and what, what, what Joseph did, he said, you know what? As money comes in, we're going to save 20% and live on 80%. And all of a sudden, a great famine hit Egypt, and they had all this wealth and resources. All the other nations began to come to Egypt because they were saving, consistently saving, while the other nations were not. The Joseph principle. Proverbs 22, 3 says, A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple just keeps going and suffers for it. You see, God's an economist. He knows that there are economic cycles, and economic prosperity is inevitably followed by economic scarcity. And economic scarcity is usually followed by economic prosperity. And so we need to help get ready for it by learning to save consistently. We need to anticipate economic adversity by better preparing for it. All right, so our way is to spend it all. God's way is to save for the future. 
Our way is to put our faith and trust in our money, and God's way is to put our faith and trust in Him. Our way is to live for today, if we're honest, that's our way, and God's way is to live for tomorrow. Can you say that with me? Our way, live for today. God's way, live for tomorrow. You see, we have a kind of a a live-for-today economy, so it's very hard to live for tomorrow because we live in a culture and a society that's living for today. Ever since they began to track the economy back in 1929, consumer spending in our country has accounted for 60 to 70% of our total economy. Consumer spending, that's just us spending stuff. Of our, our total economy, 60 to 70% is just us buying stuff. They say 40% of that 60 and 70% is spending on discretionary products and services. Living for today, you know, it's, it's lattes and shoes and lucky jeans, my favorites, Right? I mean, that's what, he's, that's what it is. You know, it's, just, it's buying things we really don't need that we want. And get this. This is reality. We spend less today than ever before for basic necessities like food. Proportionally, food is cheaper than it's ever been. Clothing is cheaper than it's ever been. We can buy more lucky jeans. Utilities is cheaper than it's ever been. We're not getting a kickback from FPL. But as far as percentages of our income, it's cheaper than it's ever been. Shelter. We have more discretionary money. You know, we can go to movies more than ever before. We got more discretionary money to spend than ever before, but yet we're saving less money. Something's wrong. And theologians and and philosophers and money management experts have been asking themselves, why? Why? Why do we have more discretionary money than ever before and we're still saving less than ever before? Why? Some feel it's because we have this kind of entitlement mindset. We think we're entitled. You know, we get married, and we think we're entitled to the same lifestyle that our parents had, you know. And we forget that it took them 30 or 40 years to get to where they got. And we want to start where they ended, you know. We feel like we're entitled to this, entitled. So we keep buying and buying and buying, accumulating more and more debt. Proverbs 21.5 says, good planning, and what's those next words? Hard work leads to prosperity. Some of us need a shift in our attitude towards money. You see, we're asking the wrong questions, you know. When we go out and make a purchase, we're asking, you know, how much down and how much a month rather than how much it costs. We recently bought my wife a, a new used car. We ended up buying it wholesale, and, and initially we kind of went out to some of the dealerships to kind of help her figure out what she really wanted. And it was amazing. Every time we get in there and sit down, they, what they want to know is, how much can you afford a month? What do you mean, how much can I afford a month? That's not the question. The question is, how much can you, let me, how much can you afford to let that car go for? Forget about what I can pay. I want to know what, what's the cost. But that's what they're used to. Everyone buys things based upon, how much more can I squeeze out of my, 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 my money, you know? How much is it a month? We're asking the wrong question. The question should be, how much is this going to really cost me? And how much is it going to cost us? million, right? That's a lot of money. And we keep living for today and not for tomorrow. We keep living for what? Today and not for tomorrow. Case in point. What's this? That's right, brown bag lunching it. I read a study. They have found, according to the study, 
that in a given uh, lifespan of your work time, in work time, that you can actually save $112,000 if you simply brown bag every day rather than going out to eat. $112,000. Now, this is not invested. This is, this is actual cold cash that you save by living for tomorrow rather than living for today. And, and eating one of these every day, that's definitely living for tomorrow rather than eating for today. Somebody said, heck, I'll, you know, let's spend the 112. I want to eat. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's a whole year for some of you and two years for, for some of us not to ever, not even work. You want more vacation time? Start brown bagging it. You can save up a couple years of employment by simply brown bagging your lunch. You see, we need to embrace the value of sacrifice. Can you say the word sacrifice? You can't even say it. <laughs> say the word what? Sacrifice. Now say it with a smile. No, I'm just joking. Okay. You see, you sacrifice for today for a better tomorrow. I had a friend of mine works for a non-for-profit, and he was sharing with me and how this non-for-profit has a pretty good benefits package for their employees, and they actually match uh, dollar for dollar up to 7.5% of what you make that year in a retirement account uh, for their employees. So let's just use round numbers. If you made $100,000, uh, that organization would give you $7,500 to match your $7,500, $15,000 that you would get by taking advantage of this resource. It's up to that. So if you want to put away $5,000, they'll put away $5,000. Pretty good benefit, isn't it? Dollar for dollar match up to 7.5% uh, of your income. He shared with me they got 23 people, full-time employees, 23 employees. Guess how many of them take advantage of that retirement package? Three. Three. Now, why is that? Because we're living for today. We're not living for tomorrow. We want everything. We want as much of our, our money we can possibly get right now. We're living for today rather than living for tomorrow. We need to value the virtue of sacrifice. And if I can be honest with you, that's really what Christianity is all about. It's all about sacrifice. It's about following our leader, Jesus Christ. He's all about sacrifice. It's about being the hands and feet of Jesus. It's about saying no to yourself and thinking of others and helping and serving and giving. It's all about sacrifice. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, we must never stop looking to Jesus because he's our leader of our faith. And he's the one who makes our faith complete. He suffered death on a cross, but he accepted the shame of the cross as if it were nothing because of the joy that he could see waiting for him. And now he's sitting at the right side of God's throne. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love even more. And Jesus gave up something he loved. He gave up his life for something he loved even more. You and me. He sacrificed for today for a better tomorrow. And we need to follow his example. That's what saving is. It's sacrificing, spending it all, enjoying it all, doing it all today for a better tomorrow. 
Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, when I read the Gospels, I don't read about Jesus saving money. I don't, I don't read about him putting something in a 401k account or, you know, I don't, I don't read about that. And you've got to kind of remember, you know, he could take, like, take, take water and turn it into wine, you know, and take bread and turn it into stone and, or take stone and turn it into bread, hopefully, you know. But the truth was, you look at Jesus' life, he was always talking about money and he was always constantly investing in the future. That's what his life was. It was all about sacrifice and it was all about investing. He was investing in the things that matter the most, people. He was rich in the things that matter most, the souls and lives of people. Matter of fact, in Luke 12, Jesus told this story. He said, there's a certain rich man, and the farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself. He said, hmm, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for all this harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barn and build a bigger one. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods, and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You got it made. You can now retire. Take it easy. Have the time of your life. Just then God showed up and said, what? Yeah, not like that. Fool. God shows up and says, fool. You fool. Tonight you die, and your barn full of goods, who gets it? Now get this last verse, because this is the message here. The message here isn't against capitalism. Jesus is not wrong saying it's wrong to take your business and multiply it and grow it. That's not the point of this story. The point of the story is found in the last verse. You ready? Let's read it together out loud, can we? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. That's what happened, Jesus says, when you just live for today and not for tomorrow. That's what happens when you live for today and not for eternity. That's what happens when you live for self and not for God. That's what happens when you follow our way rather than choosing to follow God's way. God's way. And God's way is for us to save consistently. Now, the purpose in my message again today, please, please hear me, isn't to beat us up. I know the last four years have been horrendous. I know some of you have been out of work and you've, had, you, you, you've saved up and you've been living out of savings to survive. I, I, I realize that. But my heart and my message is, and I think we all could agree, you know what? When it comes to savings, we probably all could do a little better. We could do a little better. The purpose of my message is to offer hope. Let's get back to God's way. Let's do life. Let's do our money God's way rather than our way. Let's choose to change. Let's choose to enter 2014 with the discipline and self-control and the sacrifice to say no to the day and to plan better for tomorrow. When I think of sacrifice, when I think of choosing to change, I think of a man by the name of Alfred. Alfred Noble. He was a Swedish chemist who made his fortune inventing and then producing dynamite. Back in France in 1888, his brother died, and he was reading a French paper about, he thought, the obituary of his brother. Turned out the writer of the paper, the editor of the paper, made a mistake and confused his brother with him. And so he's sitting down to read the paper, and he's reading his own obituary, all right, before he's dead. And it says this, the merchant of death, is finally dead. 
It went on to describe a man who has gotten rich by helping people kill one another with dynamite. And Alfred read that, and he got on his knees, and he said, God, I vow to you to make a change. I vow to you to resolve to use my wealth this day forward to change, to change his legacy. When he died, eight years later, this is back in the late 1800s, he set aside and he gave $9 million in a fund to award people whose life work benefits humanity. Today we know those rewards as, a, as the Nobel Prize, Alfred Nobel. He had the rare opportunity to look at his life and to assess where his life was going, and he chose to change. And I pray this morning that you will make that choice, that you will choose to change, that you will radically change, and you'll start saving money consistently. You will start investing your life in what matters most, that you will pray and say, God, help me to invest in the things that matter most. Can we pray? And with our heads bowed, you pray to yourself and say, God, help me to invest in the things that matter most. Can you pray and say, God, help me to invest in people. Help me to invest in your kingdom. God, help me to invest in those things that matter most, my marriage, my church, my children, my friends, my future. Can you join me in praying this morning? God, help me to do life your way. God, help me to save for the future, not just live for today. God, help me to put my trust in you and and not in my money, not in my savings, not in my retirement, but in you and in you alone. Some of you, for the first time in your life, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ who died for you who invested in you with his own precious blood to save you from a debt you could never pay, your own sins. And right now, can you just pray and say, Jesus Christ, come into my life. Save me. I put my faith, I put my trust in you. Father, I pray that you help each of us to start living for tomorrow not just today. God, help us to love today and be in today, but God, help us to have your mindset, the mindset of eternity, and to live for tomorrow. Help us to invest in our future. Help us to invest in the things that truly matter most to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.